a Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxis Tires and Alpine Stars Protects on RacerXOnline.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,000 podcasts delivered with over 7 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out and donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X Podcast, presented by Maxis, presented by Alpine Stars, and now... Presented also by Slick Products. Thank you for uh, listening. Mike Hooker is coming up shortly. The man has done a lot in the industry and really, really interesting guy to talk to. Real smart as well and uh, a guy I've been talking to for a while about doing these. So I'm glad he finally agreed to do it to talk about Pro Circuit and evolution into what they did and his own career over at Honda and then now at Toyota. So flyracing.com, the Formula Helmet is out now, and these guys are very, very proud of it. Please, if you're in the market for a high-end, high-level protection from low-speed and high-speed crashes, check out flyracing.com, the new Formula Helmet. Um, It is lightweight. It is quiet. It is uh, great protection on it. And uh, judge for yourself. Watch the video on flyracing.com about the formula and the technology behind it and why they use it and, and make, your, make, your, make your choice there. So thanks to those guys. Also, Alpine Stars, the Tech 10, the most advanced boot in motocross today. They got a new and a revised version out now. I love the Tech 7s. They got the Bionic neck support system. They got the A4 chest protector, the A1 as well. A lot of teams or a lot of riders, I should say, that aren't sponsored by Alpine Stars use their protection products underneath because they're that good. Alpine Stars protects and Maxis too. Maxis MSST tires developed by Jeremy McGrath are available now at your local dealer. The King, uh, the Cat and Zaro, the Cat, the King, the Cat. We got the King and the Cat. The Cat and Zaro, the Cat and Zaro. AJ Canzaro, the cat, running MXSTs in Supercross right now and making some main events. So thanks to uh, to AJ as well for, for supporting the folks at Maxis. And Slick Racing, they offer easy-to-use wash kits complete with, success, complete with accessories, foam gun, foam gun options that save time, avoid frustration, and leave you feeling secure, confident, and ready for the next ride. Follow their three-step uh, wash process. It's really simple. Uh, I've got it. I've used it. I like it. Slick Products guarantees your bike will look great after every wash. Uh, go to slickproductsusa.com. Use the discount code Steve at checkout to save 20% on any of their wash kits. Slickproductsusa.com. Use Steve code to save 20%. Thanks to the folks at Slick for coming on board. Uh, and thank you for listening. Here's Mike Hooker. And now, as promised, on the uh, Fly Racing Racer X podcast, presented by Maxis, Alpine Stars, and Slick Products, uh, a man who uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Really interesting guy. Uh, he's at uh, he's an engine development at TRD, which is Toyota Racing Development now, but certainly has a strong background in moto. It's Mike Hooker. Mike, what's up, man? Thank you for doing this. Hey, thanks a lot, Steve. Uh, excited to uh, to talk with you today. Yeah, guys like you. Uh, Rich Taylor, Ross Maeda, Paul Feed. I just this is the stuff that I really like the 
the industry people that have been around it forever and have all these cool stories and have done all these all these cool things in moto and just i mean as i said you're you're at trd toyota racing development but you're still following supercross and motocross oh definitely yeah still uh in tight with mitch at pro circuit you know, good friends with bones um who's obviously uh trying to uh slip off into his second career of doing nothing and then uh jim perry over at yamaha yeah uh, a lot of guys still guys at cowie bruce and uh you know we have some right. guys at trd that, that have come from uh from cowie so yeah definitely definitely try and stay involved really enjoy the sport enjoy it more now than uh when i was in it <laughs> do you still ride at all i know you were a good racer back in the day do you get still get out or no, no, I've uh, switched my uh, competitive passion to uh, ultra marathon trail running and a little bit of mountain bike racing. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, um, yeah I, uh, I worked at Yamaha for four years with Jimmy, so lots of, yep. I've got lots of Jimmy stories also. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and uh, also, too, of course, I see Mitch Payton every weekend at the races, and Bones is still around, Hooker. He's trying to retire, but I still see him around. He still texts me every now and then. It doesn't sound like he can completely walk away yet. Yeah, how how could you? You know, he's got uh, he's got his uh, his roots pretty deep in the sport and uh, knows a lot of people. And but, but you know, and now he seems uh, he seems happier now. He's got less stress. Uh, he, he's he's always been a good guy, but uh, I see the old bones coming back now. Right, right. Yeah, tired of dealing with these kids and doing suspension form over the years, right? That'll make anybody crazy. Um, yep. Hey, so uh, TRD, engine development, obviously uh, Toyota is big into NASCAR, and uh, what's what's your job entail there? What, what Take us through some of the things that you do. Uh, the, the things I'm doing today, a um, little more, more, little more specific what, what they have been in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm primarily responsible for of the or any of the parts that bolt onto the exterior of the engine that we'll call in the ancillaries, you know, throttle body, pumps, um, uh, exhaust, uh, uh, th- uh, fuel conditioning systems, mm-hmm. pressure regulation valves. Um, you know, we have the engines are pretty well locked down from a, from a um, being able to change many things, castings and things right. like that. So. So we end up doing a lot of tuning on the peripheral parts that bolt onto the engine and just try and make things lighter and more efficient and and uh, work the development through that. Okay, so the NASCAR teams like uh, um, Gibbs, Joe Gibbs uses uh, Toyota. You just swept the Daytona 500, by the way. Nice job for, for Toyota on that. Um, yeah, thank you. They, I thought, and I took a tour of the, of the NASCAR truck, uh, NASCAR factory, and per, for, forgive me if this is these are some dumb questions because I don't follow it that closely, but... They have their own guys working on motors and everything else. So how do how does TRD fit in with the JGR and the other teams that use Toyota? Well, on their Cup program, uh, they use engines from TRD in mm-hmm. Costa Mesa. They're uh, developed, designed, developed, um, built, signed off, and sent to Gibbs. Now we do have our track support crew and a, and a couple in-house guys that receive the engines, mm-hmm. help install them into the car. They run on their chassis dyno just for, you know, kind of leak check and performance validation, um, and then they go to the track. So I know in the past they were doing some uh, nationwide or Xfinity engines mm-hmm. with uh, with Mark Cronquist, who was over there at JGR, and maybe a little bit of truck stuff. But all of the Cup stuff definitely comes from uh, Costa Mesa right here in uh, oh, okay. Southern 
Yeah. So shipping motors back and across across the country every single weekend, back and forth. Jeez. Yeah. Oh man. Well, the the, the rules have changed a little bit. Um, where we have there's a certain number of events. I think 26 total uh-huh. of the 36 points events where you have to use the engines twice, or at least the, oh. the long block portion of it. So they're they're trying to cut costs and uh, yep. keep the teams involved, keep them interested, not spending. Uh, not taking their uh, large fortunes and turning them into small ones, so to speak. <laughs> but yeah, they, there's a there's a lot of work in the background with NASCAR trying to sustain the the sport, right? And um, and that's part of it. It's a two use engine. I imagine you would you did IndyCar for a while, right? Toyota was big into IndyCar when you first oh, got yeah. there. So yep. the difference between NASCAR and IndyCar must be just a world apart, or or are they getting closer in tech and and coolness and trickness? Um. You know, if you looked at an IndyCar engine today and you and you pulled one of the, say, the last engine that we raced in, in 2002, uh-huh. uh, they are like a Swiss watch inside. Uh, small engine, 2.4 liter, 2.6 liter, I can't remember. Uh-huh. Uh, but, I mean, we turned 17,000 RPM on, on, val- on wire valve springs, um, 900 horsepower, um, you know, just engines didn't last long they were 500 mile engines uh lots of exotic coatings but those exotic coatings have become kind of a, a mainstay in nascar today with you know, mm-hmm. the dlc stuff and yep. you guys have it in moto too yep. um different different types of coatings on valves to to so that allow us to uh run more aggressive valve angles and things like that um those were very exotic in the indycar days mm-hmm. uh but like i said the engines are really really cool um lot of a uh, lot of time spent on the dyno back then mm-hmm. just to get them to work and being you know everything to function properly they were a bit more uh, temperamental uh the cup engines these days they're they're pretty bulletproof like i said we can go two races on them yeah um so uh a, a bit different um tight packaging light engines for indy cars the cup engines are steel blocks aluminum heads they're kind of heavy compared to those uh lightweight yeah. engines and and the cost the money that we spent back then was you know tenfold on what we spend now <laughs> on a racing was it really huh it was that big of a difference it was that, that was huge yeah, yeah. <laughs> man Indy- I, that was yeah that was part of the thing that made it cool was right that, you, know, you got this just completely uh special part underneath the canopy on one of those uh carbon fiber indy cars mm-hmm. uh and man they they just they sung they sounded so crisp and so clean they were like the the most badass cr 125 or right. 125 that you've ever heard yeah i the man i i got a mutual friend who, who's really good friends with jimmy vassar and just the the early 90s to probably late 90s of indie car racing was phenomenal and and it's too bad the split happened and and you know they've kind of been dropped a little bit over the years from where they were but man was that a cool era in indie car racing that whole 90s you know Oh, very, very, very cool. Um, I've also I've often thought that, like, obviously in moto, as you know, the OEMs control everything, and they're the ones racing. And 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 Coy Gibbs there has you know tried to bring some NASCAR type stuff to moto. And I always just wonder. I I would have said a long time ago when I started as a mechanic, I would have said, hey, in twenty years. Honda's going to build you a motor just like TRD, and they're going to lease it to you, and they'll do the service, and you will have a race team sponsored by Wiener Schnitzel or whoever. 
you know, and that and Honda will just provide technical support, rebuild the motors, and Showa will give you suspension. And but we're not there yet. But I would have thought we would have. Yeah, I, I don't. I I think one of the the issues is the at least with okay. So on on the car side, the, the OEMs are obviously involved. Uh, for branding and, mm-hmm. and, and badging the car. So so basically the theory is for the cars is what if we win on Sunday, yep. we sell on Monday. Right. On the on the OEM side for the motorcycles, man, I don't I think with the production rule it kind of it kind of takes that it takes that out of it. And maybe I'm not thinking about it right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're they want to. They have a whole product. They're not. They're not racing a, a Camry off the showroom. They're racing a CR450 off the showroom, and they want to make sure that that bike is as good as it can possibly be. Right. So that their their marketing money that they're spending on going racing um, is is emphasized correctly mm-hmm. and, and put out into the sport correctly. So I, you know, I don't have a good feel for it. I know what you're saying. Like. Mitch is in a in a unique position because he was at the at the time you know or still is a hop up shop but mm-hmm. uh, he's into racing and and he's using that as his basically as his marketing um, race motorcycles yep. uh, sell products yep but yep. yeah I'm not I think I don't know right. I don't have a good answer for it yeah. on that one um you travel much or no uh, you get to be based in 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 down there in, in Orange County. Used to. Uh, when we were in the IndyCar Series, uh, 130,000 miles a year, regular flights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, NASCAR, we have we have our facility in North Carolina. we got a really good track support group mm-hmm. that some of them used to travel on the road in the IndyCar days. Um, they're in North Carolina. They're more centrally located to the teams, and they do a, they do a really good job um, uh, supporting the engine, supporting the package, mm-hmm. you know, carrying the message from engineering at TRD and Costa Mesa to the racetrack, uh, wherever they may be in the country. Um, I know from like I know from the NASCAR guys, from the JGR guys, uh, NASCAR regulates things pretty good, as you mentioned as well. You're pretty stuck with everything, so I was shocked to find out the littlest differences. And this is more on the aero side of things. They were showing me things with the aero package that could that could get you a mile per hour or half a mile, whatever. Little smallest, the smallest little details that are insane. So when you're talking about looking at the ancillary things to a motor, I'm guessing, Mike, that you're also at a desk with a dyno in front of you and looking at a motor and being like, what if we moved this a quarter inch this way? I mean, is that kind of what you're doing? Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, on the one thing that's changed over the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years in, in NASCAR, at least with TRD's uh, affiliation with JGR, is is the engine and how it's packaged into the chassis and what influences the engine have on the chassis is very important. So moving weight around, mm-hmm. um, basically lowering the CG of the car, you know, we're talking microns. Uh, yeah, is equal to is equal to lap time. So <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not just engine power pushing the thing down the track. The cars have to handle good, mm-hmm. and it's uh it it's really uh, important for uh, for that engine and that chassis integration to be you know kind of kind of one and, yeah. and work together. So we'll 
we'll sacrifice uh, pure dyno engine performance in order to in order to keep something or improve something on the chassis from, yeah. hand, from hand standpoint. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What's the next thing off the top of your head, or what what do you think we're going to get in the moto side that is coming from the car side? Either, you know, obviously we, we have EFI now, and we map the bikes, and, and, you know, Yamaha even reverse motored, return the motor back around, which seems to be a fantastic uh, source of horsepower for 250Fs. Uh, is there something car-wise coming down to moto bikes, do you think, technology-wise? You know, I'm I'm not I I've heard the moto guys are dabbling in it a little bit, you know, with their options on ignition timing mm-hmm. for power smoothing and things like that. Um there's there's quite a bit more that they can do, but again, you got to think outside the box a little bit for this type of advancements. There's there's lateral G sensors, there's things like that that they could do with, you know, the the angle of the motorcycle yeah. in the corner to to curve engine performance. Um, as far as I know, there's no limitations in the AMA rule. But I don't for, think so. No, for being able to, uh, you know, not I don't want to say traction control because, and you know, you yeah, gotta have a right. certain amount of tire slip <laughs> and things like that. But there's definitely, um, you know, from GPS positions, you know, that stuff's starting to get more defined to, mm-hmm. like I mentioned, lateral G sensors and, and the angle of the bike having some influence on what the engine map does. You know, all that stuff's possible. It's pretty pretty normal today in the automotive industry. We're not allowed to mess with any of that stuff in the race car, right. um, at least for NASCAR, but we had, we had a ton of experience with it in IndyCar in the early 2000s mm-hmm. because at first they didn't allow traction control. So we had very clever means to detect what the corner radius was um, mm. and and therefore you know what the grip level of the tire is you know, a little different on on street versus versus dirt but yep. you know we knew, we knew we did plenty of tire testing we knew what the grip level was we know how much engine power the hat the the engine had for every throttle position and rpm so by a big grid map or something like that we could do whatever we wanted to the engine performance the, the the dangerous part of that is you can do too much and and a guy can basically flat foot the car around the track you know wide open throttle and the engine <laughs> yeah. doing all the control and you're essentially slowing the car down and and we learned that in the beginning ultimately when traction control came out it was kind of weird that the cars would go around the track and you'd hear you know a ton of engine cut <laughs> yeah man that, that guy they're doing a ton that guy's that guy's hauling butt but he wasn't actually going fast when and as we started to relieve some of that um that help we'll yeah. call it the car start going faster we were over in in germany with our partners at the f1 facility in cologne learning mm-hmm. about traction control and f1 so you know we uh we spent a lot of time and got into the fine details and learned about uh, you know adding extra differential equations to tire slip to figure out how quick the tire was going to break loose and what to do and wow. that was a it was an exciting time, I and mean, we spent like a year on that project. But in the end, it it brought us the, it, I believe it brought us the 2002 uh, IndyCar Championship. Nice, yeah. I want you to know that the rule book of the AMA is still as gray as ever, as when you yeah. left the sport. So, um, you know, it's not not really, uh, uh, yeah. It's it's interesting because traction control is banned, but yet, in a sense, we have a form of traction control with you know the different uh, limiters that we have and and the amount of sure. you know so. 
it's it's interesting. I have heard MXGP Honda was fiddling around with something like a G sensor uh, for for the angle of the motorcycle. I don't know if it ever was true or not. I couldn't really nail down an answer, but I heard it was here in some form. So uh, interesting. Um, yeah. Hey, so I got a Mint eighty nine CR one twenty five here in my house. If yeah. I if I gave you the cylinder head, could you still do something some magic to it, Hooker? Could you could you know what to do? <laughs> Uh, Mitch and Jim Perry were the the porting masters. Okay. Uh, back then, if you needed a cone pipe, yeah. No if problem. I need a pipe, right? Okay. Uh, I'll send it to you. Um, all right. Let's get into the uh, let's get in the time machine and go back because this is the the part that, that really really interests me. Um, so you're, you're 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 in Southern California. It's like the mid '80s, I'm guessing. How do you discover Pro Circuit and Mitch and and do you even have a Husqvarna at this point for him to hop up? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see, eight, uh, nineteen. Yeah, just getting into that phase. My dad was a husky guy, desert. Oh, he was. Uh, okay, yep. Yeah, Takati enduro when it used to be five hundred miles. Just this like brutal event that I always, uh, I always idolized the 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 will to to want to do an event like that. Not really fully understanding. You know, I'm ten, nine, ten years <laughs> yeah, old. Yeah. And a two-day two event, 250 miles a day. I think one day um, or one event, I think 25 guys finished out of the 250 Jeez. that started. And, and he was like seventh overall. I'm like, man, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, not totally not. <laughs> right, right. I think in 81, he bought me a Husky 125 and started taking me to Saddleback. We lived right by Saddleback. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I could literally see Saddleback from, from my house. Oh, cool. Um Lived in the neighborhood with uh, Robbie Gordon and Ward Bassett, guys like that. Rode with them, and we'd go to Saddleback every day. Either Robbie's dad would drop us off, or my dad would drop us off, and we just practice. I wasn't even racing uh-huh. then. And I think finally, kind of, kind of, just kind of summer of '83, I did my first uh, 125 beginner race on my 1980 Husky 125, and that big steep start hill at Saddleback. And obviously, first race, got out of the gate, you know okay for a for a full-blown beginner and just got yarded up the start hill by the by the cool 83 cr 125 <laughs> yeah, yeah. and Suzuki's and stuff and uh ended up just my my dad uh found mitch and talked to mitch and he cleaned up a cylinder for us and i started riding my bicycle there after school and like hanging out and, oh uh, really huh yeah this is, this is an anaheim day, this is the anaheim shop this is an, right this is the this is the this isn't the the laundry where he started in the laundromat. It was a, another building. Oh, on La okay. Um, it was like probably twenty two, twenty five hundred square foot. It was the Husky dealership. Um, eighty late eighty two, early eighty three was is about this time period. Okay, so still selling husky, still selling huskies. Yeah, dabbling in the pipe stuff for the huskies, doing the motors and stuff. Um, kind of just starting to get into the Japanese bikes and had a bunch of pipes upstairs. And I don't know, we didn't know what WD-40 was at that time, but <laughs> I hung out and he's like, Hey, you want to, you know, you want to help out? And he's like, go outside and clean these pipes for me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> how old are you? Like 15? Like, well, how old are you? Uh, probably 13, 13. 14. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's putting you to work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I loved it. He's, right. He's like, right. You know, I, I, I hung out and didn't do anything. I, I didn't talk a lot. I was a pretty quiet kid. Uh-huh. But uh, he latched onto me and and helped me out and said, "Hey, here, go to work." So, put me outside. I'll never forget it. Garden hose, 
Um, muriatic acid, which is the stuff yes. they use yes. to clean pools with. Right. Um, and then I'd put that stuff on Scotch-Brite gloves. We didn't have rubber gloves. We didn't need those things. And uh, and just dump it on there and just turn those rusty pipes white and then oh. clean them off with water. Lube them up with Bellray six and one and throw them back in the box. So that's how I started. Um, no, no gloves with muriatic acid. That had have been awesome. Just great. Yeah, yeah um, was good. So yeah, again, like people need to understand. Like obviously, they know Mitch Payton now is, you know, the Monster Energy Kawasaki and everything. But he made his name with Husqvarna. I mean, he was the guy for Husqvarna. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, uh, Bro Show, right? Bro Show's riding for him and everything. Yep, yep. Andy was there. Uh, to that time, uh, it was definitely Andy, and might might have been at the end of Dave Garrick's career. Troy was Troy Lee. He was he rode for him. Uh-huh. Uh, man, there was a yeah, there was a lot of a lot of a lot of history there. Um, yes. So okay, so you you you're racing and everything else. When when do you get an official job there? Um, official job. It kind of <laughs> it it kind of stayed. Um, you know, me riding my bike down there yep. after school at two o'clock. So it took me like 30 minutes to ride down there. But then, you know, just me up or my dad would pick me up in the evening. Um, and then finally when I started driving, so 85, 86, somewhere in there, then, then I was down there every day after school and I'd work and, oh, that's- you know, something to be done on the weekend. I was working. Bone started there. I, I don't remember the exact year. He started there maybe a year or two later uh, doing – and we did everything. We, we rebuilt engines. We uh, did suspension. Bones got started doing the suspension stuff. I did the forks. Uh, 86, things really started to spool up. Mitch had done the pipe for the CR250 that uh-huh. RJ liked so much and won the championship with. We were doing right. a ton of Honda suspension back then. Um, so are you of, are you learning this just as you go, or who's teaching you this? Is is Mitch teaching you how to do this stuff? Uh, bones, bones, bones okay. Suspension, yeah. And then uh, Mitch, Mitch on the motor stuff. I yeah. wasn't doing any any hop up stuff, but it was like guy would bring guys would bring bikes in. They want to change piston ring, yeah, yeah. clutch, get the thing ported. You know, some guys would come in a brand new bike, and it was I was like, wow, these guys are bringing a brand new bike in for suspension. <laughs> yeah. Porting cylinder head pipe silencer and you know they just lay the cash down but it was so cool building just a brand new motorcycle for somebody and yeah spend time on it you know that was really cool really enjoyed those days um and you're racing this whole time you're racing on the weekends or during the week or whatever whenever you can yeah yeah, yeah i raced a lot so 83 84 i got a uh, brand new cr250 water-cooled husky mm-hmm. um uh, yeah, White CR. People need to know that CR used to be what Husker's, Husqvarna's were called, right? Yeah, it was the close ratio was what the CR stood for. <laughs> right. So they had the WR, which is their kind of enduro bike right. ride ratio. Um, yeah, so raced in 84. Uh, that's when I, I really became good friends with Jim Perry and, and, uh, and Bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I traveled. Jimmy would come pick me up from high school. Uh, he was driving. We would go to his house. Our bikes loaded up, and we would drive and do all the Golden State races. So there was like eight races. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was our like our, that was our nationals for the year. On the weekends, we would go <laughs> we would go do those races. So and, and didn't uh, I see? Didn't you win five hundred class at somewhere along the line? I remember seeing in Cycle News or something. Um, yeah, I won I, like that year eighty four. I'm, I'm riding junior. It's okay, my, I've been racing for six months. I think probably at that 
point in my career. I, I wanted to race motorcycles. My dad was really good friends with uh, Chuck Feetsmaner, and okay. I would go riding okay. with him out in Temecula. And he told my dad, he's like, hey, you know, hey, hey Mike will be a, he'd be a good junior, good intermediate, you know, just have him go do it. It's fun, you know. Right. So that's what kind of I, – I was, I was afraid to go ride. I'd go to Saddleback on the weekdays and ride when the berms on the, on the front track look like waves in the ocean. You just burn <laughs> in and stuff. And it was so gnarly. I'm, I'm like, wow, I don't know how these guys right. ride the track like that. But, you know, it's different when you get there and practice and you're the ones helping to make the berms and things. So Yeah, yeah. Um, did did that basically, and then the the World Mini came in '84, and I rode at Saddleback so much I knew that place by the back of my hand by then. So I won the 250 Junior or 250 C class at that okay. time in the World Mini, and man, I had no idea what that meant. It was just cool. I, <laughs> I got second, I got second both motos, and and uh, but one on a Husky, a Husky 250. You know, nobody was doing that in the yeah, not back then, that, right? Yeah, yeah, at that point in time. And that's the funny thing now. I, I see, you know, all these pictures on Instagram and stuff of guys with old Huskies and stuff, and everybody's commenting how cool they are. Man, back then, those every it was the other way. Well, like, dude, what are you riding that bike for? Yeah, I, they do look cool. I admit, like Laporte's bike in like '86, the single shock 500 with a lower tank does look yeah. pretty cool. But I guess it was a pile. Um, and then I have to laugh, Mike, because you know everyone Husqvarna's back and Anderson won a Supercross title. But I'm like, no, sorry. No, I'm not buying it. I'm not just. I'm not. I'm not grasping that. I'm not. I'm not celebrating this. He won on a KTM. You know, I just have this hard time wrapping myself around this Husqvarna thing. Like it's just a white KTM. Calm down, yeah. everyone. So, I don't know. Um, hey, so uh, yeah, Mitch told me, and I, tell me what what you remember. But Mitch told me like he started making friends with Glover and RJ, and RJ chose his pipe in '86. You mentioned it earlier. And he yeah. told me, quote unquote, that took him from like a quote unquote kook in a wheelchair to like a serious business. Now, uh, do you remember that all? It, it, it being like that also. Oh, I, I to to me, Mitch is he's still a kook in a wheelchair. <laughs> okay, all right, fantastic. Okay, <laughs> no, he it it definitely it definitely uh, put. Pro Circuit on the map from the standpoint of going from Husky to, you know, to the Japanese brands, which were gaining so much momentum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Husky, Husky was hurting back then, obviously, as everybody knows. Yep. Um, but, yeah, definitely, definitely that, that pipe, that, you know, that era, that uh-huh. help from Ricky and the, the, you know, the thing was awesome. Mitch bought me a Husky in 86. I had, I was supposed to mow his lawn and, and I had one of those pipes on there. And I, so I came off an 85 250 single shock Husky yeah. and went through that bike. And it, it was the most badass bike I had ever ridden. So it, yeah, I just, but for sure, you know, that seems like what really yeah. got Mitch going. So then all of a sudden it was every brand of, of two stroke bike he's building and, it, it it just uh, it just seems like it really did take off from there. So you're making the pipes, right? You're making cone pipes and testing this stuff, from what I understand. How are you learning how to make a friggin' cone pipe? Because you know that is just an art within itself. Yeah, for sure. So I didn't actually build my first cone pipe till '88. Okay. Uh, Mitch had another another guy, uh, Dave Carter, real quiet guy, super smart. Um, figured out the the Excel program on basically how to how to turn um, how to turn a 
uh, flat sheet of metal, mm-hmm. you know, going going basically from a design, from a cone, from certain diameter to certain length, and and then put it on a flat sheet of metal, scribe the thing out, roll it up, and then Dude. then it now's <laughs> where the art starts is putting it on the motorcycle where it needs to be. So he worked. Uh, Carter worked for Mitch till like '88. They got into they got into something and Mitch let him go and he was right like two inches into a pipe for Glover for Brock Glover at Yamaha and Carter walked out the door and Mitch said time for you to start learning how to build pipes <laughs> you're like me what huh <laughs> I mean I, I knew I knew it was coming you know right. we had talked about it but it was that one of those urgent urgent things that yeah. uh time to time to make this happen so uh yeah so i started building my first pipe sometime there in 88 i finished that pipe and i talked to mitch the other day and i think i'm pretty sure that's the pipe that glover used at the coliseum oh no way really yeah oh wow yeah that's a famous story because yeah brock frustrated with yamaha he was on his way out he yamaha told him fine go ahead use the kook in the wheelchair stuff um, you know, yep. we're over it, and he won. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. So, I guess Hooker. I mean, how many thousands of hours do you have figuring out how to do a cone pipe properly? Like, good God, huh? Um. Yeah. I, well, just kind of, just kind of to generalize it. When when you build a one twenty five pipe, you know, whatever they were, seven hundred, seven hundred fifty millimeters long. They took about when I got proficient at it. Uh-huh. They took about oh, I'm going to say six, seven hours. Two fifty pipe, you know, up in the thousand millimeter range. They they would take more eight, nine hours, and then I had to build five hundred pipes, which were just like <laughs> twofold. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, you're talking a good, good nine, yeah, and eleven, eleven hours on those things. But uh, a day, a day and a half to build one pipe. Yeah, and and I never I never liked to um, to to stop what I was doing because you kind of had that you know a little yeah, bit yeah. of that creative mojo going trying to get things mm-hmm. laid out nice and you know, you had you're thinking ahead while you're working on a specific location on the pipe so yeah it kind of had weird quirks and <laughs> weird like that I needed to get it done um, when I was working on it so the days just became nice. long which was, which was okay <laughs> I, we were used to that at PC we, right you know, we. It, there were there were no real hours. We just uh, just grounded out till uh, till we got our job done. So, um, once you make the cone pipe and you test it and it's okay, but you need to do more bottom, make it longer, make it shorter, whatever it is. Do you then cut into the pipe you just built, or do you have to make another whole cone pipe? No, usually usually Mitch would give me dimensions for a couple pipes. Say say it was a you know a new right whatever, whatever. CR250 example. It will build. He'll go a couple routes with the dimensions and stuff, and then okay. uh, we would we'd build a couple of them. And at that point, eighty five, you know, Carter's building them in eighty six, eighty seven. I'm building them in eighty eight, eighty nine, and and through the end of my career there, um, it was up until ninety one. It was. Go ride it. How does it feel? Mm-hmm. And then, need, okay, it's a little, it hits too hard. It's a little flat on the bottom. You know, we'll add some length to it. It's, uh, no, it's got too much bottom, not enough top. We want it to rev a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Shorten it up in the head pipe. 
uh, you know, certain we knew just from past experience there were certain things we had to tune in order to make the pipe feel a certain way. But we were definitely cutting into that development pipe. Yep. Once you got it how you wanted it, then Mitch would do the cylinder, do the cylinder head, and we and there may be some tweaking on it that that was required to pair with the cylinder. But then you had to build another one right. because <laughs> that, that was the one that basically generated the look of the part on the bike, you know, mm-hmm. how it swept back or by the ignition cover, if it was a 250 or a 500, how it laid up underneath the tank or, you know, when the Hondas came out with the lower tanks and the pipes were low, you know, mm-hmm. just, just the look, you know, you wanted to have that, that, that look. And in the beginning, it was difficult to kind of have a, have a, uh, an eye for, once you started where it was going to end up, I was building and it ended up where it, where it ended up. But in the, in the end, it was more, yeah, I was a little, little better at it. So you could, you could, uh, you knew the lengths and you could figure out, you could figure out where you wanted the thing in, yeah. to end and what you wanted it to look like. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it definitely was an art. I mean, in, in the end, when I got good at, or not in the end, but after the first year, I mean, on an, on an entire cone pipe, uh, you, you might use a one inch of welding rod, and that was just to patch up a couple little holes that you burn in it. Um, but otherwise, you were just fusing the mm-hmm. fusing the metal together. So mm. get, uh, getting that nice, nice even look, so you could pound the 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 slag off and give it that nice silver ring around the yeah around the pipe. So. I uh, I've been looking for, I've been looking for a cone pipe for that eighty nine one twenty five. I've seen them here and there pop up. Um, not the fake ones like Bill pipes. Bill's pipes are selling pipes with just like they're putting just dropping a ring around a, a stamped pipe, you know. And uh, yeah. And I'm just like no 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 that's not the same. It's not the same. I'm looking for a cone pipe. Um, because nothing cooler than a, a one twenty five cone pipe. Absolutely not. Uh, yeah, they're bitching. Uh, um, and then eighty nine of course Kardowski, Schmidt. You guys are all in on Donnie Schmidt's privateer thing and, and that's a big time uh honda's using your pipes again kardowski and different guys are switching off from what i understand on 25 so business is booming due to due to the things that you're doing with the pipes uh a big part of that so yeah man things are rolling at pro circuit at this point oh yeah 89 was was big that was uh yeah we had all of the honda guys so yeah it started with don um he was using mitch's pipe cylinder you know basically the whole engine mm-hmm. and they went out for a test uh i think at carlsbad or something with the honda guys and we weren't allowed to go out there with them and but by the end of the day everybody uh liked that engine package the only uh stipulation was is that is that besides mitch doing the cylinder mitch and jimmy doing the cylinder and the head on that is they wanted cone pipes <laughs> so i i think i built 25 cone pipes that year for the for their 125 team and then some for donnie schmidt um just to yeah you know to keep them flush with pipes so um that was a that was a good year because uh mitch uh kicked me back a little extra money for each of the cone pipes that went to oh, uh cool. yeah 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 so that was nice so it was good got a little a uh, little bonus at the end of the year when and kudrowski won the championship and so that was uh it was cool. Yeah, it really it, that, that helped a bunch, and I think through those years in the mid '80s, there, I mean, Mitch really gained a lot of uh, a lot of respect, and and uh, he he definitely let his uh, his work um, speak for itself, and uh, and that's you know I think that still extends to today. You know, obviously, he yeah. does a good job with it. And for sure, I was I was in there uh, I was in there maybe two months ago. He's grinding away on a K- KX80 cylinder. I'm like, what are you doing? 
He's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. And I'm like, seriously, get someone else to do that. He's like, no, it's good. It's relaxing. I like it. I like it. He's got his glasses on his head. You know, he's checked. I'm just like, look at this guy. He's grinding away on a KX still, KX85 or something, you know? So, yeah. Um, what, what bikes do you remember uh, were most improved by your pipes or really, really worked well with, with what you were doing and, and which ones were tough to, to, to make, if anything comes to mind? Like, obviously, the, the Japanese guys spent a long time making a, a perfect exhaust pipe, you know? But um, do you remember a couple of models that stood out? Um, for sure. I, uh, Suzuki, the Suzuki 125. Um, like 89? Uh, 90, 90 and 91. Okay. Yeah, yeah, those things ripped. They were kind of flat, and Mitch had a pipe for that thing, and... Yeah, the thing they they would rip. He was doing he was doing stuff for uh, for Suzuki back then. So they I remember they had like a works ignition, mm-hmm. pair that with the pipe, and he just it was like you know they didn't have a they didn't have a rev limiter on it, but you could just hang up there in the in the peak RPMs. It was really really fun bike to ride. Obviously, if you went through time, I'd say Honda Honda two fifty and eighty six. Mm-hmm. All the Hondas were always good. Eighty seven, eighty eight. 89 those two the 250s were just just beasts yeah uh pipe really helped a lot pipe silencer combination Mm -hmm. um the stuff that that he did for team green that pipe ended up becoming a production pipe on the 500 super easy to ride good mid-range pulled tall pulled a really tall gear for the baja guys but Mm -hmm. yet it was super comfortable super easy to ride on the motocross track um yeah i mean the the things that stand out though you know it's it's those points in history it's 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 86 it's 89 it's it's 91 when the when the super team came around um you know this whole this whole time not this whole time but from 87 on i'm i'm in college now Uh and i'm trying to split myself (laughs) in a bunch of pieces between uh racing motorcycles i finally turned professional at the end 87 Mm -hmm. um built uh working at the shop um you know it just what do you things were things were suffering for me you know from a personal (laughs) standpoint i bet right it's just it was just dirt bikes and school and that's it and then just dirt bikes and school well it was mostly it was it was work dirt bikes then school school was third at that point thanks everybody for listening to the fly racing racer x podcast with mike hooker great stories and uh, certainly lots to lots more to dive into uh first up we want to thank the folks at fly racing and of course maxis alpine stars and slick racing products and also to race tech use the code pulp 19 when you call there to get your motor work done to get suspension work done it uh, they'll dial you in at race tech ben lemay using race tech uh each and every weekend out in supercrosses and absolutely killing it also to michael lessi running race tech up in canada tyler medaglia race tech guy so yeah please check them out uh, if you can and use the code pulp 19 to save on motor work suspension work uh, they'll dial you in so uh, fly racing racer x podcast presented by maxis alpine stars slick racing products back to mike hooker so mitch comes to you in 91 or 90 and says hey so honda's given us the 125 program you know i got the sponsor we got mcgrath swink buell lampson Pretty cool uh, back then, but probably also added a ton of work to to your plate. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we ended up he ended up buying a building out in uh, Corona mm-hmm. off of Maple Wild Turkey. Troy bought one right next door to him. Um, 
and that was in 1990. And it was like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this race team. And it's, it was like, okay, let's do it. And, <laughs> and we, we started, you know, it, it, it was, you know, we were, uh, we didn't know what the workload was, so it didn't really matter. We, we never had a, like I said earlier, we never had a, a, a place to be yeah. <laughs> with our life. Uh, you know, work, work came first. It was fun. It wasn't work. It was yeah. an adventure. Every, every day was something different. Um, but you know, in the end of the day, we, we put our heads down and, and built the shop and he purchased the CNC lay. So, you know, the, the building did have some purpose besides just housing the race team, bought uh-huh. a dyno. We put the dyno in. Mitch had some help from uh, another fellow, Doug Johns, did a nice job getting the dyno in. I learned how to run it, um, put my cone build, cone pipe building uh, area right next to the to the dyno, literally like 10 foot from the door of the dyno. Uh, <laughs> built an easy easily removable cr125 for doing testing on the dyno yeah uh, right so that was the cnc lathe so we had a guy over there and he was producing flanges that would go to the pipe shop to keep the pipe shop going with with two-stroke flanges yeah built a wall down the middle the other side of it was the race team of skip norfolk buddy morgan mm-hmm. uh joel andrews um eventually ali seymour yeah uh um trying to think there was uh joey i can't remember joey oh joey mauer joey mauer yeah joey. yep mauer he was there um you know and, and everybody congregated there we had our box fans we had a parts room we had a solvent tank and two workbenches and that began the uh light blue uh yeah 125 team and and we, we did the same thing we always knew we worked on the engine bones bones had been doing suspension for a number of years at this point he he worked really hard on that. Worked on the chassis. We had the best riders um, by chance or you know by effort. You know a little bit of everything. You make yep. your own luck. Yeah. And went went out and just just had a great had a great year. You know we didn't we didn't win the first race. Or actually we did. No, you did. Yeah, won. Swink. Yeah, Swink Swink won in Orlando. Maybe Buell was up there top five or something. Like all right, that was pretty cool. And then I think the first West Coast race, I think talent, one of the Volans won. McGrath was second, but I remember Jeremy was like, hey, "Don't worry about it. I'm, you know, first race, get it out of the way." And then he just started laying them down, and the rest is history. Do you, Do you ever think back to those days? I mean, and, and be honest here, Hooker. But do you ever think back to those days and be like, "Yeah, this Jeremy kid's pretty good. He's got a chance to be the best all time." I mean, look at what he did after you know. But uh, he was amazing at ninety one on, but. Did you – were you just shocked by it? Yeah, you know, a little added story to this. 80, 87 Golden State Series. I, I sit, Where were we? Up, up, up north somewhere, okay. one of the up north tracks. I'm sitting in Sizzler, <laughs> just crashed out of the second 500 moto when okay. I had a chance to win the championship. Sitting in Sizzler with my dad, eating – driving home i'm moping getting ready to drive home have something to eat yeah and this guy named jack mcgrath sits down next to me at the table and says hey hey i want i want to talk to you he knew my name and and i said oh yeah no problem and he said hey my my kid jeremy i think he's going to be somebody and jeremy's a 250 junior at that time on a yamaha i think he had some support from yamaha was going to go do loretta's and Ponkas and stuff and i said okay yeah you know cool i'll give I'll, I'll talk to Mitch and, and mm-hmm. Bones, you know, give your, give information to him and stuff. And I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, come on, <laughs> whatever, dad. 
<laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I hear it all the time, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and then I became friends with Jeremy through then, and you know, from that point on, and he just kept doing better and better and better. And yeah. so it, I thought it was really cool that that his dad came over, said that, and I thought, like, yeah, right, whatever, and mm-hmm. it came true for him. Yeah. It's just one of those, you know, <laughs> you, you, just, you, you, you eat crow sometimes, and, you know, for him, that Jeremy was the coolest guy, and you know we had a good time on the race team and stuff. But when you saw him ride at the at the Supercross track, or mostly at his practice track, yep. he would do. He would. I mean, you saw him, right? Yep. He would do things you were just blown away with. Yeah. I mean, some like we were out at his track one time, testing at his parents' house, and and he had this huge double near the house, and I remember him jumping it and watching the bike, and I swear the bike changed angle in the air, and he landed. I'm like, what did what did you do? And he's like, oh, I was going to come up short, so I just, just I put my toes beneath the brake lever and the shifter and just kind of changed the changed the angle. I'm like, huh. Oh. You know, it's just, you didn't think about stuff like that, but he did. So, anyways. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, he, he 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 was the start before the scrubs. He's the start of staying low. I mean, I don't know how many times I saw him stay four foot lower than the guy next to him off in the triple in the air. You know, you're yeah. just like he just knew what he was doing. Um, yeah, pretty amazing team. Pretty pretty, and and actually Buell, Jeremy Buell gets lost in a lot of this talk because Swink and Lampson, and oh, Lampson was the only one to not win a race. Amazingly, somehow Lampson's the only one of the team to not win a race. And yep. Buell was very good, and and unfortunately he got kicked out of the 25 class too early. But you yeah. know, Buell was also very good. It was an amazing team. Yeah, it was uh, when when one guy uh, when one guy was down. You know, we we always we had a shot to win every race. Yep. And and that's you know that's all you could ask for. And I think just the I think the confidence that the team built because the other teams weren't like that. Yep. Was worth was worth something to those guys. You know, Swink was going to be who he was, and McGrath was going to be who he was. They were confident people. Mm-hmm. Lamson, he he took a little bit longer, but I truly believe that that race team and us giving him confidence that hey, you're good enough to be here, mm-hmm. really helped build him up for the future. Same thing with Buell. I, I wish Buell could have stayed in it a little bit longer. And and you know, confidence is everything in this sport. You, you, if you're yep. without it, you're lost. You know. Yep. Um, and then uh, moving on to 93, the Honda drops. I, I wrote this story, and, and and you gave me a lot of great stuff from it. A most unlikely championship. Honda drops Mitch. He he, he basically said he's crying about it. Um, and you guys are forced with Mark Johnson and Mitch and, and pick up Kawasaki on a bike that was way inferior. There was no budget for riders. You pick up uh, Chamberlain and Jimmy Gaddis and Jamie Dobb, and, and you know, you're trying to – you come off these two years of winning – Almost everything, and, and it's indoors, and a lot of races outdoors. And now you're starting from scratch. And as you've told me in that article, and, and just Google it, everybody, if you want to read it. Season on the brink. Um, it, you had your work cut out with that '93 Cowie. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, Mitch. Uh, I don't remember the exact day. Uh, I remember the, the the emotion of the change, which was okay, but. <clears throat> Like we had talked before about it, it was you know, we had for those two years we had built a lot of confidence in ourselves. So um, again, another challenge, you know, something else that we needed to do. And I know Mitch was Mitch was bombed at first, but um, and but we worked our butt off that year. It was I was deep in school at that point, mm-hmm. so I, it was literally between between working on that KX125 till building pipes, putting it on the dyno, testing cylinders. Mitch is out at the shop with me, testing cylinders. 
we're there till one thirty, two o'clock in the morning um, during the week and eating dinner there, figuring stuff out, learning stuff about the dyno that we didn't understand, which is just kind of common sense today. But you know, right, right. The, the learning, we really relied on that dyno a lot um, to point us in specific directions um, and leave there leave there at two o'clock, go home, get a couple hours sleep, go to school for a couple hours, come back to Anaheim, do the things we needed to do in Anaheim and then drive to Corona and start testing again or, or go out in the yeah. field and go test. Um, we, we crammed a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of quality hours in a short period of time, um, prior to the, the, the race at Houston and, uh, yeah. in 83, 93. And then Gaddis goes to the LCQ, but he manages to win the, the main event. Phenomenal. And Mitch still has that photo of Gaddis pulling a holy from from the, from the oh LCQ. yeah like crazy crazy night for you guys to, for it all to come together right yeah it, it was awesome and that was all that was the only race he won yeah that was it <laughs> we, we were smart about it and he and he he was confident and uh, he just he, he said everything will be fine and it was it was <laughs> so. Obviously, Mitch has softened over the years from me talking to riders that have rode for him forever. Um, yeah. But did, were there times where you, you and him just got into it and you didn't speak for days or Bones or Jimmy or, like, you guys are working so hard, so close to each other, so many days in a row. What was the dynamic like personality-wise between all of you guys? And I'm talking about Mitch and Bones and you and Jimmy and, and anybody else. Um. We we got into it for sure. <laughs> we, we were like we were like brothers, and I still, yeah, yeah. still feel like yeah, I can call him up and haven't talked to him in a couple months, and it's just hey, remember this, remember that, you know, just BS about stuff. But no, we got into it. I, I, there was one, there was one point while I was in school and and was out there working and working my butt off, and always felt like I was working my butt off. But <laughs> Mitch came in, and, Mitch came in and had a bone to pick, and and I, I think I. I got pissed and we had, we had a Chevy truck sponsorship at that point. Okay. And so he had given myself a truck and, and Jimmy a truck. And that's basically our cars that we, we drove around in. And uh-huh. He got, he got pissed about something. I got pissed and told him, I said, I'm out of here. So I've walked from Corona back to orange with my school books and, what? and my flip flops, 22 <laughs> miles back to the house in orange. No so, way. Yeah. Yeah, that was the that that he was headstrong. I was headstrong, and the and the two didn't mix sometimes. But you know, we, we laughed about it two days later. And it was all good. <laughs> but yeah, we always had little run-ins and right. stuff. But you know, in in the end, for for me, he was the boss, and uh, he knew a lot more than I did. And mm-hmm. uh, appreciate the uh, appreciate the education that I had. You know, whether it was uh, through motorcycles or through life. Yeah, it's funny though. Like, and I. I've said the same thing. I was a mechanic for a long time, and I had no life for many years. I didn't have an address for four or five years because I'm from Canada, so I really didn't have an address. I just lived with friends in the off season until they got tired of me, and I had all, everything in a gear bag. And I look back, at, and I slept at the race shop on an air mattress in one of my teams, and I look back, Hooker, and I like, I cannot believe I did all that. But on the other hand, that all shaped me for what I do now, and I imagine you you look at the same way. Like It, it just shaped you for your whole life. It definitely did. I, I I think that you know it it built it built a lot of character for sure. You uh, it's it's amazing what you can you can uh, live without, and it's amazing what you can do when you uh, don't have any 
you know, when it's your passion, basically, um, it, we, we had so many, so many unknowns and things that we were learning at the time that, uh, you had to figure it out. There was nobody else there to figure it out, or, or at least we were never made that somebody was going <laughs> right. to. So, you know, you had no choice. We didn't want, we didn't want to fail. That was the biggest thing. Don't, we didn't want to fail. We were, we were motorcycle racers, just like being on the track. You uh-huh. don't want to lose while you're out there, your competitors. And we just applied that to, we applied that to business and to everyday life. Didn't matter if you were racing motorcycles, you were trying to build the best motorcycle, put together the best team, and and do the best job that you could do you never settled and i think that's the important part is just never settling until you're happy with what you have and that's that's the way we approach things yeah it was just it was collectively all the guys that worked together in that era mitch bones jimmy everybody was the same yeah so it really worked out you're all driven type a personalities just driving each other i guess yeah yeah for sure um, how hard was it to leave Pro Circuit when Honda comes calling? Factory Honda comes calling. Uh, I think nine, you went there in 96, I think? 95? Uh, yeah, end, end of 96. End uh, of, that was tough. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. Been there 13 years, so, you know, yeah, that was you know, half my life at that point. Yeah. How, how did Mitch take it? Uh, he, he was actually cool. I, I kind of think he knew about it. Okay. But I remember... I remember staying late one night, and he's like, oh, what are you doing here? And I needed to talk to him. I just graduated college, you know, a couple months earlier. Um, you know, Lamson was over at Honda. I was good buddies with him. You know, wanted to keep helping him, keep, you know, keep doing things. Wanted, Kind of wanted to venture out on my own. You know, mm-hmm. I, always, I always had Mitch's you know, Mitch to fall back on for engine performance stuff. But I mean, I knew how to do stuff. I was starting to do dimensions for pipes and stuff on my own and, and make things, you know, at PC, but, you know, ultimately uh, just kind of wanted to to spread my wings and, and maybe use my engineering degree a little bit more. Um, Not that I wasn't using it at PC, but like I said, Mitch was my crutch at that point. And I and I wanted to venture out and kind of do my own thing, and uh, so felt like you know I was getting older, mm-hmm. had a had a longtime girlfriend, you know, it's just kind of that done racing motorcycles, trying to grow up and kind of right. go get a real job, I guess you could say. But <laughs> it, never, it never has been a real job even to today. So right, right. Uh, so, anyways, yeah, wanted to, wanted to give it a go and. Uh, so went over to Honda and end of '96. Uh, about the time McGrath was migrating over to Suzuki, and so it was uh, the, the Steve Lamson show over there. Put a lot of pressure on him, made it tough for him. But yeah, yeah I was I was for the move. You know, I work on the 125. The 250 was still done by Japan, but uh, it was the good. Uh, the '97 CR250. Of course, it was so bitching when it came out, but not that good of a bike. Uh, looking back on it, you know, but it was so revolutionary when it came out. It was, yeah. It was uh, make your hands fall asleep. Uh, <laughs> still, the typical awesome electric Honda motor. That that, that wasn't the problem. It was yeah. the chassis and and you know, like I said, the bars, the hands falling asleep. But um, yeah, did a lot of work on it. Worked on the chassis quite a bit. And like I said, Honda did a. You know, they always do a nice job with their motors, and the 250 motors always, you know, seem to be always have been good. Yep. Uh, but my focus was on the 125 and. And uh, trying to keep that keep the 125 well, going. Cliff had done a 
a nice job with the motors in the previous years and mm-hmm. trying to build on that. Well, and then so what's what's ironic is 97 comes, your Lampson's the defending champion, and the bike's steel frame, so it's still, you know, the 125 is steel frame, so it's still traditional style. And now you're racing against this Carmichael kid who's now riding for your ex-boss, uh, and you got to try to beat him. And I remember I was a mechanic then, and, you know, it was like, ah, Ricky won Gainesville, but it's his home track. He rides it all the time. I mean, he's not going to beat Lampson, you know, uh, when it gets, you know, to other tracks. And, God damn, the kid kept beating Lampson. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. The, the rest is history on that one, though. You know how yeah. um, So, 98, FMF Honda. I'm working there. I get the job halfway through the year. They fire a couple mechanics. The 125 is now aluminum framed, and it is slow. You had your yeah. work cut out for you. I I believe it was just related to the airbox and the way the airbox had to fit around the aluminum frame, right? Yeah, that was that was part of it, okay. for sure. Yeah. I know we, we worked on the airbox. We worked on the intake track quite a bit just to get the response good. Um, Terry Varner doing the, doing the porting. I was um, – making the pipes. I was actually making cone pipes at, at the Honda shop over in, uh, over in Torrance. So uh-huh. they would, FMF guys would cut the pieces out that I, that I had requested and go over there and build pipes. And then we'd come back and <laughs> dyno like, it. FMF dyno. Oh man. You're like, listen, you guys are pipe makers, but here I am making pipes again. Um, here's, <laughs> here's the story I got. Now I remember there was a lot of tension with you and, and Terry Varner at FMF. Cause I remember you you would be like, hey, what main do you have in your bike? And I'd be like a 172. And you'd be like, okay, good. And then Varner would be like, what main you have? I'd be like 172. Varner would be like 178. Varner was all about just trying to get as much fuel in the bikes. And I feel like you came from like the days of what Lampson rode that worked so well. And I remember there being a conflict between what Honda wanted and what uh-huh. FMF wanted. Am I correct in that? Yeah, yeah, there there was there was definitely different schools of thought, and I, I got along good with Terry. And, mm-hmm. and we worked what we worked late together, and I was trying to let him do do his own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt like the engine performance wasn't going the direction that we needed it to go for Supercross. From what experiences that I had, right um, from from Pro Circuit, and I felt you know worked on dynode road many many bikes over the years and that thing was just a mushy no throttle response yeah you know know, it was tough so i was focused on on giving that thing some response so when those guys chopped off the throttle got back on it that there was something there um even even at the sacrifice of generating a big number on the dyno right uh, because we had had experience in 1993 coming from a Honda that had a big number, had good throttle response to a Kawasaki that didn't have a big number, <laughs> right. but performed but performed well on the track mm-hmm. um, because it responded well and we did a lot of work on it stuff. So, you know, I had to kind of balance that out a little bit. Um, definitely two different schools of thought from where, ter- where, where Terry was coming from and where I was coming from. But, you know, in the end, we, we did the best that uh, we could do in that period of time. And, um, I don't. The, the bikes weren't world beaters. I, I believe they handled good. We had that that part yeah. dialed in, and just trying to make the the engines manageable, um, rideable, responsive. And I know I, I, I hear it in Ping's uh, articles and things about his his Honda that year. Yeah. But man, he still got second, pulled some good starts at uh, 
at a couple of the events. So yeah. um, it's either good traction or or good power. Remember, uh, there was a we had to run a ninety-five cylinder, right? For some reason, ninety-five, one twenty-five cylinder was the key um, for for those later on Hondas. I don't know why that was. I don't know if it's different power. There wasn't different power, but it was still HPP. But for some reason, the ninety-five cylinder was it back then. Yeah, it's just the position of some of the ports that we couldn't okay. get to with the later with the right. later cylinders. Um, the so. story the story I heard when I was at FMF Honda was that you or someone dropped Cliff's motor off that, you know, Lamson just killed everybody in 96 and the bike looked amazing and someone said, "Here's Lamson's motor. This is your boat. This is your package. This is what you want." And it was just rejected. It was just like, "Nope." That's that's the story I heard at FMF like, "No, that's that, what are those guys now?" <laughs> So I, I could see it being frustrating because Varner, you know, us as the mechanics, we're, we're jetting it one way and th- that you're telling us and then Varner's telling us to do. And we're like, what is going on here? We're just trying to, yeah. you know, so it was a it was a stressful time on the team and everything. And, and like you said, it's two different schools of thought. Not, you know, nothing, not bagging on Varner or nothing, but it didn't. It was a diff, dis, little bit of dysfunction between the Honda and FMF. So for sure, for sure. Um, So when does TRD come calling? Uh, so I was, was, and still am friends with, uh, with Robbie Gordon and he was driving for PPI and did some races for Toyota in the, in the, uh, PPI, uh, motorsports team okay. in 90, 98. And he's now he's going to put his own team together own Toyota sponsored IndyCar team. He's going to run a swift chassis and get everything together. So he had like kind of a part-time schedule with Toyota um, or with PPI. They went to a race in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. um, gnarly track, one mile tri-oval track. And, and the Toyotas have been doing poorly at that point. And, you know, he's Robbie's fearless at this point in his career. And man, he, I think he finishes third or something. Everyone's like, Holy crap. Yeah. How, where did that come from? So, I think that helped boost his uh, his value to Toyota enough to get him his own race team. Give him, you know, he's got some pretty good clout with the people down at Toyota. Uh-huh. Um, and then he recommended, you know, I, just talking to him and you know trying to kind of expand my uh, expand my uh, wings a little bit more and get into something, you know, a little more scary for myself, but more more centered around engineering. Yep. Um, you know, he he put the word in at Toyota. Um, I knew actually the guy that put in the dyno um, it, for Mitch in 1990. Doug Johns is working at TRD as the engine build shop manager. Um, gets me an interview in there with uh, Dave Wilson, who's the vice president today, and my boss at that time, John Faber. Mm-hmm. Everything everything goes good. Um, so October 1998, um, I had a decision to make between Honda and trd i went to the honda folks talked to them they said and this has been going on for a couple months they said uh they said that uh hey we we want to make you an employee at this point i've been a contractor for two years i said cool you know i i'd like that and it just kind of kept dragging on and you know things weren't things weren't coming through and i i went up to gary mathers at the time he was the boss at at, uh, honda and i said look i said this is a situation I've got a uh, a position with Toyota, salary position, benefits, everything for X number of dollars, mm-hmm. and I've got a I've got a semi promise from Honda that uh, <laughs> I mean, you're going to make me an employee. Yeah, 
He looked and said, that deal right there, that Toyota deal, that's a good deal. I'd take it. And I was going. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, appreciate, I appreciate the honesty. You know, Right, I, right, he, yeah. He was one of the big bosses, and I yeah, he was. wasn't. Yep. I, I liked talking to him, and he was a good guy, and uh, he was straight up with me, and, you know, that's all it took. Push me over the edge. I'm, I'm, I'm easy. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're like, okay, all right, well, the, the big boss is saying this, so I will exit stage right and head over yeah. to Toyota. Um, yeah. Ah, interesting. So, so the passion for 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 motor development, the passion for car racing, because um, we all know that's you know you work a lot of hours, you work hard, just like you did in moto. Um, like again, you talked about how it wasn't a real job, but that was always there for you. You know, it isn't for me. Like, I'm a dirt bike guy. I, I love dirt bikes. I don't even really like MotoGP. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, and I follow NASCAR from the outside and this and that. But were you always into car racing and, and that kind of stuff to keep it going? No. No, I think the only thing that really interested me in cars was was more kind of Formula One open wheel yep. style stuff. Just the sound of the engines, uh, the unknown. You know, it's a four stroke. You know, I'm used to two strokes. I got yep. no, there's no valves and cam <laughs> yeah. and things like that. You know, we we were we were simple and and uh, it was easy to for me to take the engine apart at, at PC or at Honda and do what I needed to do to it and put it back together. But now we're talking. Big scale, uh, it, it was scary, and that and that's yeah. kind of what kind of what drove me uh, to want to try it. It was, uh, hey, if you don't try it, you're never going to know, and mm-hmm. you're going to regret regret not trying something. The same thing with the race team. I'm sure for Mitch, you know, hey, let's do a race team. Well, that's scary to do, but hey, that's cool. Let's do it. So yeah. I, it was a way for me going to Toyota. This, you know, this million dollar behemoth engine or tiny engine, but just from a technological standpoint a behemoth and and uh you know just getting in there and really uh investing time and learning into it so it really took me about a year on track support really working with and that was my job i traveled to and from the races okay i support i supported the ecu and the engine control um for that race car and there were tons of strategies that you had to keep up with it for all the teams for all the teams or just for one car one team one car one car for uh, for Robbie. Gordon for Robbie, okay, 90, yeah, yeah, yep. In '99. Yep. So, wow. Um, worked, worked on the engine. Worked on the engine. You know, boost control, fueling, um, and just kind of the same. Probably very similar to the same things that the that the moto bikes have yeah. on them today. You know, yeah. with Lambda filters and you know, ignition and, and mm-hmm. things like that. But but we had we had two dynos at the time at TRD and engines on one, one in dyno was used for signing the, the race engines off. The other dyno was used for development. So, uh, but, but really in 99, 98, 99, TRD was still in its infancy of, of figuring out, you know, they struggled 96, 97, 98 to build a reliable engine, mm-hmm. but that was only part of the picture. You, you still had to put the engine in the car and map it or part engine on the dyno and map it and then into the car and make sure that worked. And yeah. there's, lean strategies and and different ignition timing because you wanted to cut power when the tires went away you know th- there was so much stuff that was just in its infancy at that point in in Toyota's career with IndyCars that there was really a big a big um uh, opportunity to make a big difference and and once I was able to see kind of the light at the end of the tunnel and understand how things work that's when it got really exciting kind of end of 99 it's like hey i want to come off the road i want to go in i want to work on i want to develop 
uh, at least from that point, uh, at that point, the mapping, mm-hmm. um, the fueling strategies, the ignition strategies, and really um, got embedded into that that work. And that that was really exciting times. Just something just totally new, and I could really apply what I had learned at school. Mm-hmm. And you you can't really you know I didn't go to school to specifically learn how to map an engine. Right. I think the biggest thing that you learn in school is 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 how to set up a process to become successful at something and it's something that you do every day you just don't uh realize it to the detail and the level that you need to do it in order to be successful at big projects you know we we did it at pro circuit with the race teams we had a process set up to do things it was always different from one from one race team to the other but you still sat down thought about what you wanted to do and envisioned what the end result was going to be. So you knew what you were trying to work towards. And that's really what school taught me. And combining that with the passion of wanting to succeed really helped at my education, or sorry, my development at Toyota and kind of, you know, moving, moving me up through the, through the ranks of where I am today. And if anybody needed some exhaust built, you could also do that. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, that, that was funny. Did plenty of... Uh, oh, did you really? Yeah. Oh. Ton of exhaust development at um, yeah. a tier one on the Indy cars and a lot on the NASCAR. Um, you know, mm. and, and they're just big, giant exhaust systems on the NASCARs. The Indy cars were tiny; they were yeah. you know, really short, turbocharged. Until we got to the IRL and the Indy 500, um, then the turbochargers went away. But yeah, just a really cool time. A lot of lot of opportunity to. Uh, to uh, do a lot of cool things. And now IndyCar is all just one Honda motor, I, th- I believe, right? It's just one spec motor, or is there two still? There's two. There's the the Chevy. Chevy has there. It's kind of the chassis. You know, for a while there, I think they had different um, different aero packages for the for the two manufacturers, but I think they've kind of honed in on one. Yeah. Um, have a have a friend that works there. He's technical technical director there at IndyCar and he says they're you know, they're trying to make some uh, improvements to keep the racing exciting and keep the playing field level that, and that was always the hard part of that sport mm-hmm. is just how much money you want to spend on aero <laughs> development because the chassis really is very very dominant okay over the, over, you know, and so if you've got good good downforce and a good mechanical grip on the chassis mm-hmm. it'll make up for you know we'll say I'm just going to yeah whatever number yeah 50 horsepower or something you know yep. it's not oh okay so it's not, that so it's really like yeah I guess the speeds you're going and and yeah that that's that's everything right or it's it's like you said yeah, it's, it's yeah. a big yeah, part gotta, of it. yeah same same in NASCAR I mean engine power is good engine reliability is very important that's mm-hmm. why we work so hard on that but you know in the end uh, a good team with a good chassis is uh you're much better off with that than without. Yeah, the Gibbs guys were showing me like a template from NASCAR for I don't know the back, the the rear uh, fender uh, where it goes into the roof or whatever, and they were showing me not ways to cheat but ways to get around this NASCAR template. And I'm like, that makes a difference. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, holy yeah. shit! Like, like you know, it's the smallest little thing. And they're like, so see this template? Well, we do this, and NASCAR's okay with that. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. He goes, but they'll tighten it up. You know, whoever it was telling, I think Coy was telling me they'll 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 tighten it up. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, those, yeah. Those guys are uh, those guys are on it. Yeah, it's 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 crazy that and in our in our in our world, it's like basically, you know, um, swing arm crankcases, frame. But I I I am pretty sure there's people that don't that that cheat with the frame. And here you go, you know what I mean <laughs> for rules. So 
It's and, yeah. the, and the AMA guy measuring things with a, with a, with a, um, a Home Depot t- tape measure, you know, like a swing arm. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, geez, these guys. Yeah, the good thing about Moto, though, it's still uh, – I'm still giving it to the rider. You know, yeah. Bike makes, bike makes a difference, but and definitely uh, yep. rider's the key. Uh, well, Mike, thank you for doing this, man. Really, really education. I feel like we could go for another hour. Um, it's, uh, it's really, really interesting to talk to you and all the things that you've done in the sport are, are really neat. And, and, and what a, what a time to sit back and watch pro circuit grow from, you know, the kook in the wheelchair, making Husky stuff to what it is now. And, and, and I'm stoked that you're still all friends with those guys. I know Jimmy Perry speaks highly of you still. And, uh, and man, what a, what a, what a great deal you've done all the way up to TRD now. Um, Thank you for coming on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, yeah, appreciate uh, appreciate all you do uh, for the sport. Uh, you're keeping it interesting, and uh, uh, love being friends with uh, with all those guys. Still keeps me uh, keeps me motivated. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think those guys look at you as the one that got out, the one that escaped. <laughs> he doesn't have to travel. Hooker doesn't have to travel anymore. He just sits back. <laughs> so. yeah, I. I, I uh, tape it if i'm not home and watch it on tv and uh, i enjoy it just as much oh fantastic good to hear well thanks for your time uh today mike and uh, we'll talk down the road man thank you all right take care thanks for listening to the fly racing steve mathis show don't forget to check out some of our past shows including motocross legends such as the bad boy rick johnson i looked down and my hand was junk i mean yeah. it was sitting over to the side the tendons were jerking in weird places and my biggest disappointment with danny store because that he never said sorry because danny and i were friends and we've never talked since brian lunas before the 500 event dave and i fly to germany go down to stuttgart there's this little shop out the back of the mall factory we get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take the money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. 
I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I had pulled kick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. Been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in, I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. Hey, 